Uh, please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're continuing our series, Colossians chapter 1. Our passage today is a brief one, only two and a half verses, Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5a, so the first part of verse 5. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5a. But I'm actually going to, for our scripture reading, read the first 14 verses of chapter 1 so we get a full appreciation of the context and not just, you know, the two and a half verses we're looking at. So Colossians chapter 1, scripture reading, this is God's holy and authoritative word, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, where would we be without that redemption, the forgiveness of sins, the body broken on the cross for us, the blood poured out as a sacrificial offering, as a sacrifice to turn away your wrath and your judgment and to turn your favoring glance and blessing towards us instead? It is on that basis that we can come to you on the basis of that perfect sacrifice, knowing our sins are washed away, that we can enter into the throne room of grace and come and ask that you would be with us, that you would help us, that you would teach us, that you would guide us as your people. Lord, we want to hear your voice. You are our God and we are your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, every day we breathe in and out 20,000 times. 20,000 times. So that comes out to about 800 times in one hour. So during the next half hour, you'll be taking about 400 breaths. Have you ever bothered to count? That's one breath. That's two. It's three. It happens so naturally, we don't even think about it. It just, it's what we do. And yet, even though we don't think about it, breathing is absolutely essential for life. Necessary. The first question in an emergency situation is this, is the person breathing? Is the person breathing? Why? 
Why is breathing so important? Well, if you know some basic biology, you know that every cell in our bodies need oxygen, every organ, every part. So when we breathe in air, our lungs absorb oxygen, and that oxygen is carried by our cells to all different parts of our bodies. And without oxygen, your body would shut down. Kids, what is your favorite activity to do each day? And I want to engage with all of our people here, both younger and adults. And so if you're a child here, just shout out what you enjoy doing every day. Sports, what else? Biking, what else? Watching stuff? Um, my kids love to eat, they love to play games, they love, uh, they love to ride bikes too, so physical activities. Oh, one more. You want to yell it? You like to draw, that's a good one too. Well, guess what? Your stomach needs oxygen to digest food. Your brain needs oxygen to play games, to draw, to watch things. And your muscles need oxygen to ride bikes and to do sports. In his book on prayer, John Anwuchegwa describes prayer as breathing. Prayer for the Christian is like breathing for the human. Anwuchegwa says, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. So let's look again at our passage, Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5a, the first part of 5. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And today, in our brief passage, two and a half verses, I believe God wants us to see this overarching reality. God's people give thanks for God's gifts of faith, love, and hope. God's people give thanks for God's gifts. God's people give thanks for God's gifts of faith, love, and hope. And if you are familiar with your Bible, these three terms appear all throughout the New Testament as an apostolic shorthand, as a summary for the Christian faith. You might remember Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, faith, hope, and love. Well, today in our passage, the order is faith, love, and hope, because that's the order Paul chooses for us here, and we'll get to the reasoning in just a moment. So after greeting the church in Colossae, Paul opens his letter with this centrality of prayer, the centrality of breathing. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We pray for you. Later on in this letter, if you've been reading, and I would encourage you to take time as we go through this series to read through the book of Colossians, you know, as, as uh, Tim did, as we sat down just reading the whole letter. But later on in this letter, Paul will bring correction and constructive criticism to the church. There were dangers threatening the church, certain weaknesses, but Paul begins with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving and joy, and gratitude. These were the first thoughts that came to Paul's mind when he thought of the Colossians. Makes me pause and examine my own heart in our church, and for us to think about what are the first thoughts that come to our minds when we think about our Risen Hope Church family. Is it weaknesses, faults, problems, political disagreements, or is it thanksgiving? 
gratitude, joy to God for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We as your pastors, we love to just carve out time and make time to pray for our members. We pray through our membership list and we make sure that thanksgiving is a big part, it's a central part of our prayers. We thank God for you as our members, how God is working in you and providing for you and deploying you for kingdom work. That thanksgiving, as we take time to give thanks to the Lord, it increases our joy and our affection for the Lord and for you, God's people. For Paul, thanksgiving wasn't just a one-off situation. It's found all throughout his letters. First Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, they open with, we give thanks to God always for you. We ought always to give thanks to God for you. And even throughout the letter to the Colossians, we see Paul talk a lot about thanksgiving, giving thanks to the Father, Colossians 1.12, and be thankful, and then singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3, 15 through 17. And then continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Colossians 4, 2. In our passage, as we look back at verse 3, notice the word always. We always Thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So that means every time Paul prays for the Colossian church, he thanks God. He thanks God, which means Paul never has a prayer without thanksgiving. What an important reminder and encouragement that we all need. Because a thankful heart is a humble heart. A thankful heart is a heart that recognizes that God is the source of life and everything needed to sustain and enjoy life. So that means for us as God's people, thanksgiving can't be sporadic. The moment we stop giving thanks is the moment we slip into spiritual danger. The pages of scripture are littered with the remains of those who traded, who gave up thanksgiving and took hold of complaining, a lack of gratitude. Look at the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve, they failed to give thanks to God and believe the lie that God was holding out on them. Or look at the wilderness wanderings of the people of Israel. Israel did the same and complained every step of the way. In the New Testament, thankfulness is a mark, a key mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. But the opposite, thanklessness, is a mark of the unbelieving world. In Romans 1.21, Paul tells us that ungodly and unrighteous men, they knew God, but they suppress, they push down the truth by choosing not to honor him as God or give thanks to him. We see that suppression of truth in a culture that wants to deny the existence of God. The movers and shakers in our culture might encourage you to have a thankful attitude, but no need to thank God. In his podcast before last year's Thanksgiving holiday, Albert Moeller points out that the gift, all the good things we enjoy, the gift implies a giver. The gift implies a giver. So that impulse that we all have, whether you're a Christian or agnostic or atheist, that impulse to be thankful for what we've received as a gift is there because there's a giver behind it. And this thankfulness for us as Christians isn't directed to some vague higher power. The God that we thank, the God we honor, the God we worship 
is the God revealed in the Bible, the triune God. We see here that the God, God the Father, is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that word Lord in the Lord Jesus Christ is the Greek translation for Yahweh, which is the God of, the, God of Israel in the Old Testament. So we see the Father, God the Father, and then we see the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus relates to the Father as the Son, the Son of God. So God the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, one God, three distinct persons. That's the God we give thanks to, the triune God. So God's people give thanks for God's gifts of faith, love, and hope. But it's not just prayer, it's corporate prayer. Corporate prayer, notice how many times the plural we appears in just these two and a half verses. We always thank God when we pray for you since we heard of your faith and love. And yes, Jesus tells us to go into our prayer closet where we shut the door and pray in secret. But that's only half the story. The other half is corporate prayer, prayer together as the people of God, with the people of God. The assumption for Paul is not if you pray together, we, but when we pray. I also want to point out here two things that aren't in this passage. Two things that aren't there. Number one, Paul doesn't thank the Colossians. Do you follow that? He doesn't thank the Colossians. He doesn't thank them because they were somehow better, smarter, wiser. He doesn't congratulate them. Oh, you Colossians are so awesome because you figured out that Jesus was the Messiah. He thanks God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.30, and because of him, because of God, You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Because of him, because of God, because of our almighty triune God, we are in Christ. We are in him. So not because of you, not because of anyone else. And so Pastor Sam Storms writes this, that I, these questions that are so provoking to my heart. Do you find faith resident in your heart? Are you this moment believing in Jesus and trusting him for life and breath and all things? Do you feel a deep and abiding affection for the people of God? If so, do not reach around and pat yourself on the back. Rather, extend your hands towards heaven and say, thanks, God. That should be our response. It should be, thanks, God. There's certainly a place to give honor to whom honor is due to thank others, but when it comes to the gifts of God, God's gifts, God's gracious gifts, well, God alone gets the glory and honor and praise. So number one, Paul doesn't thank the Colossians. He thanks God. And number two, the second thing that's not there is Paul doesn't focus on life circumstances. He doesn't focus on life circumstances. In his commentary, John Woodhouse writes, indeed, Paul's situation at this time when he's writing this letter gave him plenty of reasons for complaining. He was in prison, probably in Rome. A death sentence was a distinct possibility. Paul's thankfulness does not come simply from how well things were going for him. And once again, what a reminder and example that we all need 
Paul's thankfulness doesn't depend on how well things were going for him. Paul looks beyond life's circumstances, and so should we. Our thankfulness is rooted in God and His gifts of faith, love, and hope, things that the world can't give us and things that the world certainly can't take away from us. So let's take the rest of our time this morning to explore those good gifts, God's good gifts to His people. The first is faith. Faith. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Paul thanks God for their faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus is a defining mark of a Christian, for without faith it is impossible to please God, Hebrews 11.6. And we need faith because of our sinful condition before a holy God. And maybe you're new here, maybe you're tuning in online and you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm not that sinful. I haven't killed anyone. I haven't robbed anyone. There's plenty of people out there who are far worse than me. And you'd be partially right. Anyone. In fact, every one of us can point to someone who is worse than us. And that's the problem. Even the worst criminal could probably find someone who is even worse. They could probably say, well, I only murdered one person. That one murdered two. But murdering only one person and not two doesn't make you a good person because the question isn't, am I less wicked, but am I righteous? Am I righteous? You're either morally pure, perfect, holy, and righteous in God's eyes, or you're not. There's nothing in between. And ever since the beginning, God's assessment of our condition has been clear. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Only evil continually, Genesis 6, 5. We sin because we are sinners. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, Isaiah 53, 6. So the Bible couldn't be more clear. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins, Ecclesiastes 7.20. So where where does this leave us? We need faith. We need to somehow look beyond ourselves to be righteous because in and of ourselves we fall short. But what exactly is faith? Faith in Christ means leaning your whole weight upon him, leaning your whole weight upon him. So when you sit in a chair, when you sit in this pew, you believe that it'll hold your weight. When you walk across a bridge, when you drive across a bridge, you believe it'll hold your weight or the weight of your vehicle and not suddenly collapse under you, which tragically does happen sometimes. Likewise, when you have faith in Christ, you lean your whole weight upon Jesus, trusting in him alone for your salvation. You lean upon him. You lean upon his life. You lean upon his death on the cross for your forgiveness, for a right relationship with him. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that's a sacrificial offering, a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 
received by faith. If faith means leaning your whole weight upon Christ, repentance means you must stop leaning on something else. You must stop relying and trusting in something else. I've used this illustration in the past, but I find it so helpful. Kids, if you're in an airplane and you, it's going down, it's going to crash. The airplane is going down and you have to jump out. What do you need to survive? Kids, what do you need? Yes. You need a parachute. The plane's going, you need a parachute. So you can either, on that plane, you can either hang on to your seat, sit in your seat, or you can take hold of that parachute. But you can't do both. You can't do both. You can't hang on to your sin, living for yourself, and hang on to Christ. Can't do both. You got to choose one. And there might be plenty of reasons you want to hang on to your seat. Maybe it's more comfortable. Maybe it's something you're more familiar with. Maybe you're unwilling to trust that parachute, to trust your life to that parachute. But if you hang on to your sin, it'll lead you to eternal and sure destruction. If you hang on to Christ like a parachute, you'll save your life. And that's what faith is, giving up your sin, giving up living for yourself, getting out of the driver's seat, and holding on to Christ alone as your only hope. And the humbling and amazing thing is that faith itself, leaning your entire weight on Christ, clinging on to him like you would hold on to a parachute, faith itself is a gift from God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Again, that's why Paul must give credit to God alone. He thanks God for the gift of faith. And before we move on to the next gift, I just want to take a moment to remind all of us that faith isn't just a one-time event. The Greek word for in used here, uh, faith in Christ Jesus, refers to our ongoing faith through our union with Christ. So it's not a one-and-done kind of deal. Paul is talking about a, a continual life of faith. A moment-by-moment living by faith that comes from following Jesus. As one commentator writes, they are in Christ in the sense of drawing their life from him. He, Christ, is the sphere in which they live. All that they have or hope to be is due to their intimate relationship with him. Church, we have a life of faith because our life is in Christ. We have a life of faith because our life is in Christ. And that leads to thanksgiving. God's people give thanks for God's gifts of faith, love, and hope. And that second gift is love. Love, the love that you have for all the saints. So Paul gives thanks to God for the living faith that he sees in the Colossians, But this living faith is a faith that shows itself through love. It's a faith that you can see, you can experience it because of love. Paul makes this connection explicitly clear in Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Faith working through love. Jesus tells us that a true faith works. It's alive. 
It's marked by a love for the saints. You remember Jesus. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, our love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 13, 34. Outside the church, you expect divisions and hostility. But inside the church, there ought to be no such divisions. Christ has loved me, and now I love his family. We're one in Christ. Colossians 3.11 says, Here in the church with the people of God, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So even in the first century, in the early church, there were normal ethnic and political and economic divisions in the church, but they have disappeared, have been demolished in Christ. There is not Greek and Jew, but Christ is all and in all. So we thank God. We praise God for doing what no law, no government, no mandate can do, which is create within the people of God a supernatural love that transcends all the normal human barriers. So I thank God. We thank God for the diversity at Risen Hope. We have people of different ethnicities, backgrounds, political views, and it is His doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. But let's be honest. This love isn't easy. It's not easy. You have to lay down your life. You have to humble yourself before your brothers and sisters, especially if you disagree with them. That's why Paul exhorts us, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. So this begs the question, how do we respond when we disagree with another member of the church? What do you do when someone offends you by what they said or did in person or in social media? And we've seen members of the church get offended with one another and sometimes walk away from relationship or even bear a grudge or hold a grudge or hold on to bitterness. Are we willing, church, to bear with one another, to forgive one another, to put on love? Are we willing to have a difficult conversation when someone said something that rubbed us the wrong way, when it offended us? And the answer must be yes, as the Lord has loved us, as the Lord has forgiven us, we also must forgive. And we remember that we love because He first loved us. We were infinitely offensive to God. And in love, in mercy, He came. He made a way, laid down His life for us. The third and final gift, church, is the hope of heaven. Let's look at the first part of verse 5 because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. It's interesting to see that hope in this passage is treated differently here. Paul uses that key word because to show the relationship between faith, love, and hope. Faith and love grow because they've been planted in the rich soil of hope. 
Hope sustains, hope strengthens, hope keeps faith and love alive. So he thanks God for faith and love because, that faith and love are there because of the hope laid up for us in heaven. Hope keeps us going. Hope keeps us loving, keeps us living by faith. Church, the hope of heaven changes everything. The hope of heaven changes everything. As Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4, he, God, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Church, we're waiting. We are waiting for that hope of heaven. We're waiting for our future resurrection when our bodies will be raised with Christ to an everlasting and indestructible body. We're waiting for a future home. This is not our home. A heavenly city whose designer and builder is God. A better city. A better homeland. A better country. A home with no disease, darkness, or death. A home with no need of lamp or light of sun because the Lord God will be our light. We're waiting for a future love where we will see God face to face, behold his glory, and enjoy him forever. A future where he will dwell with us and he will forever be our God and we will forever be his people where we will know and be known, love and be loved. It's a glorious reunion where the Lord Jesus, the conquering prince, the conquering hero who has defeated sin, Satan, and death, he will bring home his bride, the church, and we'll dwell with him together for all eternity. That's the hope of heaven that we're waiting for. Church, can you imagine where we'd be without the hope of heaven? Without the hope of heaven, following Jesus would be a total waste of time. Paul makes this point clear in 1 Corinthians 15. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If our hope, church, is only in this life and there's no hope for the next, then let's eat, let's drink, for tomorrow we die. But the good news is that God has promised this hope of heaven and he is faithful, he is true, God cannot lie. This hope of heaven, which God has promised to us, which he holds out for us, makes all the difference in the world. My wife, Teresa, enjoys keeping plants around the house. And these plants add sparkle, they add life, they add color. Sometimes she gets busy and forgets to water these plants and these leaves start to droop. It's the plant's way of knowing, hey, I'm thirsty. Hey, don't forget about me. I need water. Without water, plants die. Without hope, our faith dies. Without hope, our love dies dies. So church, we need to think upon, we need to meditate upon, we need to reflect upon often and frequently the glories of heaven, that future hope. So I wrap up here this morning. God's people give thanks for God's gifts of faith, love, and hope. That's what we do. That's who we are. And that thankfulness is directed to God, the giver of all good gifts. To borrow Andrew Chegwa's analogy, to be a Christian without thanksgiving is no more possible 
to be alive without breathing. And I finish up here with just a couple different opportunities. We as pastors, we want to hold out to you to practice giving thanks together as a church body. We want to just once again encourage everyone to join us for our weekly prayer Wednesday night, 7.30 over Zoom. Thank you, Sister Danette, for facilitating this last week. It was such a powerful time of coming together, breathing together as a family, giving thanks, giving honor, worship, and then interceding, crying out to the Lord together. And I believe the Lord has used our prayer time to increase our love and faith and hope and gratitude towards Him. So every Wednesday, please come out if you can, even even if it's only 15 minutes. It's on Zoom. If you'd like to receive notifications for this, uh, please contact the church office. We'd love to send you the Zoom link. We also want to invite you to pray with one of our missions partners, uh, Joel and Samora Bain, this Saturday, May 8th, from 10 to 11. In case you're not aware, Joel and Sam were sent out by our church two years ago to plant a church in Jamaica. And we'll be... uh, taking time this Saturday, 10 to 11, to just pray for them. So look for a Zoom link this week for our prayer time with our mission partners, Joel and Samora Bain. So church, let us go out this week remembering that, of course, we breathe because our life depends on it. And we give thanks. We give thanks in our worship and prayers to God because our spiritual life depends on it. And let me just close in our benediction with these words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And church, just go with these words, go with this encouragement this morning for this week. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Amen. God be with you. Thank you.